Lacrosse is the topic on this edition of the Seco Sports Forum podcast. And joining us, one of the best commentators on the sport, Roger Howe, analyst for Friday Night Lights, New Hampshire, and the NFHS Sports Network. First off, Roger, I want to welcome you to the Seco Sports Forum. Thank you. We're getting into a busy weekend. We're going to be rounding out the NHIAA tournament season with the boys lacrosse, I call it Super Sunday. I guess I'm going to leave it up to you to, to size up the division finalists for us. So let's start with division one. Uh, that, of course, being Bishop Gurdon, the number one seed, taking on the number three seed, Pinkerton. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, I'm excited for this game, um, although I would have... Uh... Uh, since my son's on the Exeter coaching staff, uh, Brandon Howe, uh, uh, new to the staff this year, I would have liked to have seen Exeter uh, uh, try and go for their, uh, that would have been their third appearance uh, and, and a chance to uh, be state champions uh, in D1. But I'm very excited to see Pinkerton uh, and BG once again. This is a matchup that has happened many times uh, over the last since 2005, I believe, uh, when Bishop Girton won their first uh, uh, state championship. Um, Pinkerton has gotten much stronger throughout the season. Uh, they had a very uh, heavy front-loaded schedule at the beginning of the season this year, had some injuries, uh, played several out-of-state uh, teams from Massachusetts and Maine, uh, and, uh, and it, I think it toughened them up. Uh, because these teams that they played from out of state were very, very good. Some of them highly ranked uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, BG, uh, from what I learned yesterday, they, uh, they, they broached the uh, top 25 uh, in the nation uh, as far as high schools, and that's a combination of private schools and uh, public schools. Wow. Uh, but uh, my understanding is that they actually moved up a few notches to number 22 as of yesterday. Uh, so uh, they're, they're a powerhouse. Uh, they've got uh, more D1 commits uh, than I've ever seen on one of their rosters or with any uh, particular club. Uh, so this should be a battle uh, uh, between, in my opinion, two of the best teams in the state right now. Um, and uh, uh, BG got there by uh, uh, disposing of Merrimack. They just rolled over Merrimack. Uh, it was great to see Merrimack, a new team, uh, get into the playoffs. Uh, first time ever for them in Division One. Uh, so that should be, uh, you know, a, a pretty good contest. The uh, Exeter Pinkerton matchup. That was what I like to terminate a slobber knocker, back and forth, toe to toe. Nobody was given any any way. Uh, just they ran out of time. Thirteen to twelve was the final score. In case people weren't at the game, again, nobody should hang their head from the Exeter Bluehawk team because they put it all out there on the field. The coaching styles. You've got a newbie with Matt Brewster who took over an established program a couple of years ago from Jerry Holly, and then uh, of course Brian O'Reilly had the Pinkerton Astros for years, and now. Uh, Coach Godrow is in charge. Just, you know, talk about the coaches. Those two coaches we'll start off with. And then the coaches that are involved. And we've got a legendary coach, obviously, that's going to be coaching in the finals uh, with Chris Cameron with the BG Cardinals. So, yeah, uh, uh, good, good, good subject matter there. Uh, uh, Steve Godrow, he, he's got a resume uh, that's that's pretty long. Uh, he uh, he coached. Um, uh, uh, at St. Anselm's College, for example, uh, went uh, uh, from there to Pinkerton, uh, did, did some coaching there. 
Um, and uh, I have coached with Steve side by side as, as an assistant coach to him in the uh, New Hampshire Tomahawks. Uh, just a good guy. He knows the sport. Um, very mellow, can be excitable sometimes if calls don't go his way. And Steve is, he's a nuts and bolts guy, uh, but he gets along very, very well with his players. Uh, and uh, I, I think, I, I'm kind of amazed that Steve was able to step into that uh, head coaching role after following uh, a legend like Brian O'Reilly, uh, after being on his staff for a few, few years uh, and just basically picking right back up uh, where he left off. Even more amazing is the fact that Matt Brewster has done basically the same thing with the Exeter team after Jerry Holly had been there. And Jerry, uh, I didn't know Jerry as well as I knew as I know Steve, uh, but from what I you know uh, uh, did learn from uh, Jerry and watching his teams over the years, it, Matt just kind of kept that that train running. Okay, kept it going down the tracks, uh, and because of Matt Matt's age. I think he's able to connect with the players uh, in the Exeter program very, very well. Uh, he's got Demo there, uh, who's been uh, his assistant coach for a long time, um, or an assistant coach for a long time. Um, so, you know, he had that guidance. And, of course, he had Bill Ball in the background, uh, you know, much like Brian O'Reilly is in the background for Steve Godreau now as the uh, athletic director. Uh, and and it was really cool. I'll just say this as an aside to, to, to the question. It was really cool to see Brian O'Reilly and Bill Ball uh, pat each other on the back. And they're the elder statesmen, you know, when it comes to New Hampshire high school sports uh, out there. And uh, I think that's really cool. But they are both on the lacrosse board at NHIAA and they've guided this sport since it was sanctioned what back in 1993, 94, uh, by, by NHIAA. Um, it, but Brian O'Reilly's, you know, legacy in, in his lacrosse, uh, uh, you know, resume goes well before that. Chris Cameron is looking to tie Brian O'Reilly, uh, to get his 12th state championship. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, Pinkerton's right there, uh, on the cusp of doing number 13. Uh, so uh, I, I would tell you that uh, Chris and um, um, Steve Godreau know each other very well. Uh, obviously, I just mentioned that uh, Steve coached for uh, the Tomahawks program, which is directed and run by Chris Cameron. Um, these guys, they, they've got it going on. These two teams can bob, weave, make corrections, come back at halftime, do the things they needed to do. Coach Cameron did it in the BC High game this year. Uh, BC High was, uh, I think, number one ranked team in Massachusetts. And he came out and was able to make adjustments to the point where they shut out BC High in the fourth quarter. So, you know, they can do things on the field with the resources that they have on the bench and in their rosters uh, to, to do what needs to be done. And, and it's it's from my standpoint, because I'm a, I have a coach's eye, uh, I can see it coming a lot in these uh, in these games, and it's it's a marvel. As an expert, give us the nuances of lacrosse. Nuances. Um, I, I think the appeal with the sport in general and its rise to such success that it's seen, especially in New Hampshire, in the thirty years that I've been involved in, in lacrosse in New Hampshire. Uh, had, it, it is the contact, it is the physicality of the sport. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have seen other athletes watch lacrosse for the first time and go, oh my God, 
these guys are beating the absolute bejesus out of themselves and it's all legal you know there are are obviously you know restrictions on that uh, and they have gotten more stringent over the years uh for safety of, for the benefit of the safety of the player but uh i i think that's the appeal uh it's a unique game it, it manifests itself uh you know with origins with the native americans um which i i i take a lot of um pride in that uh the creator's game is it uh uh is called uh and uh it it was medicine it's what the the native americans used to get out their hostilities uh and uh, there are very different variations and stories about where that came from uh, but uh you know it's it's a unique sport and uh because it's so fast moving there's a time restraint on it uh there's there's physicality uh, and you know, there's shots going at hundred miles an hour, uh, but the strategy and the way it, it's played in the picks and, uh, those sort of things, you know, the pick and rolls, like you see in basketball and all that very, very similar, uh, strategically, uh, to what, uh, you know, basketball is to lacrosse. Girls lacrosse rules, totally different. Totally different. Full face here that, uh, my experience with girls lacrosse is quite different than boys. Uh, you know, I, I dated a girl that played, uh, high school lacrosse. Uh, my daughters have played the high school or have played lacrosse. Um, and I, I, my sister was an all state lacrosse player in Pennsylvania. I, I know very little about the game in terms of the rules and how they manifest themselves. However, I ran the Bedford youth program for quite some time. And I knew what my limitations with that part of the sport was. Uh, so we had a girls coordinator that was, you know, my liaison to learning more about the game because I knew I lacked in that area. Uh, so over time, I've been able to understand the game. In my opinion, the boys game from when I played in high school and college and in club, uh, the boys game has gotten less violent where the girls game has gotten more violent. And I, I use that in a very soft way, violent, mm -hmm. uh, but but there's the initiation of helmets now in Florida. Uh, some high schools in, in, in uh, New Hampshire, in fact, have mandated uh, helmet use for the girls. They're allowed to stick check now. You know, back in the day when, when I was first learning the sport and in the sport, uh, the girls game had no stick checking. Um, and my intrigue with the game has been just the uh, advancement, not only in the rule changes, uh, but uh, the, the athleticism. These girls, I, I love watching girls lacrosse now. I mean, I, you know, I, I'll watch it on ESPN, the girl, you know, the women's uh, uh, championships from NCAA. Uh, it, it, it's it's this this girl, Charlotte North from uh, uh, Boston College last year. She's since graduated. Just amazing, uh, the skill sets, because they're doing the same thing the boys are doing in traffic with just eye protection on, no gloves. They're getting whacked. They're getting hit. And, and they come out on the other side and, and you know, it, it, it's, it's amazing. What I don't understand about the girls game is that the constant whistles, yeah. constant stoppage of play, constant this, constant that. And it has been very difficult for a, a person that loves the game of lacrosse. And, and I, I'll say I understand the men's game quite well. Uh, there are many components to the girls game I don't understand. And uh, especially with the free position, which apparently is going to be something that's going to be debated over the off season here at the NCAA level about eliminating that. 
10 yards out and these girls are firing shots at 85, 90 miles an hour. I mean, the goalies have no chance. Right. Um, and, and I think that 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 might put the sport in a different area in my mind where it might have even more appeal than it already has over the course of the last few years. Now, whether it's girls or guys, uh, when you're covering the games uh, and uh, and our friend Nick is doing the play by play, I hear you guys saying uh, or talking about a lot of these players that are going to be going on to college. Uh, just throw some names out of these kids that are uh, going to be involved in the tournaments uh, that or have been in the tournaments so far, uh, yeah. going on to bigger and better things. Yeah, we talked about it last night, uh, uh, about uh, out of the four teams last night that had uh, been playing, uh, how many of those uh, players were going to any 10 schools, uh, which would include St. Anselm's and uh, Southern New Hampshire University, Franklin Pierce, uh, all three schools, obviously, in, in the state of New Hampshire. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, for example, Bishop Girton, you got, uh, play, he's got, Coach Cameron's got uh, 12, 13, 16, 17 players that are committed uh, on his roster uh, to D1 through D3 schools. Uh, Holy Cross, Sacred Heart, Hofstra, Bentley, another any 10 school, uh, Stony Brook, Villanova, my old stomping grounds out of Philadelphia, D1 school, Military Academy, Army. We've got two kids from, uh, uh, two boys' kids, boys from uh, New Hampshire that are attending there now and are impact players at the Military Academy. So that's just amazing to me. Clarkson, VMI, Siena, Loyola, Bryant, Wentworth, Merrimack College, a former NE10 school that's now Division I, uh, Riviere, Coach uh, Delanoy, who is a Pinkerton alum, uh, went to Pinkerton and played for uh, Brian O'Reilly. He's starting to pull in uh, players from, uh, you know, locally, uh, and he's got a good squad down there. St. Anselm's, another any 10 school. So, you know, that's just an example of one team out there. Uh, you know, I was amazed too, quite frankly, and, and I, I, I know Brian Miller from the head coach at, Tom, at uh, uh, Merrimack, uh, but he's got kids going to UNH. He's got kids playing at uh, University of New England. Um, New England College in Henniker, okay, Rockhurst, which is out in Kansas City, Norwich Academy in Vermont, strong team, strong program up there, Plymouth State, right here in, uh, in, in New Hampshire, and Franklin Pierce. So there's, a, there's an up-and-coming program in Division One, new to Division One, quite frankly. They've only been in Division One for maybe three years, okay, and he's got a boatload of commits on his squad, too. It's amazing to see that these these kids, with the help of all these you know other programs out there like Hooligans and Tomahawks and Four Leaf, they're all these um, uh, you know uh, a showcase type uh, recruiting uh, lacrosse programs that play. Their their season's going to start right away here uh, in the next couple of weeks. They're getting exposed to the coaching uh, contingent out there at the collegiate level. And then they're moving on and, and, and doing well for themselves, not only scholastically, but, but athletically. The sport's been there for years, hundreds of years, but they're getting their due finally. Lacrosse is finally getting its due. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, um, I can recall uh, when, when I was uh, running the Bedford program and, and coaching, uh, and I was actually coaching several teams at once uh, at one point. Um, and talking to lacrosse coaches, collegiate coaches, 
And, you know, because I had two sons that played and both went to college and played, uh, uh, you know, uh, competitively. Um, what, what, what we're seeing this influx of, of college coaches and recruiting events and things like that. What, what's spurring this on? Why is it all of a sudden just gone from zero to 60, you know, in, in only a short period of time? And one of the college coaches actually said to me, he said, you know what, what's happening? He said, you go to states like Florida, Texas, um, California, uh, these states where it is booming, just booming. And they're getting the athletes from the football and the baseball programs that those players are fantastic athletes, mm -hmm. but they're not going to SEC colleges to play football. They're not going to Big Ten colleges. They're not going to Pac-10 colleges, okay? So the parents and the players, although they love football or they love baseball, they love lacrosse and they're really good at it. And to top off my point, there was a, a, a tweet this past week uh, about Tom Brady's son who may not play football in college. He may <laughs> play lacrosse. He's a stellar lacrosse player. And Tom Brady, the probably the best football player ever, his own son is probably going to play, play lacrosse. He may be the goat in football, but the goat yeah. of coaches was was a was a lacrosse guy. <laughs> yeah, uh, Bill Belichick played at Wesleyan College, right uh, in Connecticut. Some some youngster that might be in the stands watching it and may have played around with a, a lacrosse stick with a friend or whatever, you know. But getting serious about it, says, "Boy, this is something I might like to do." What advice do you have for him or her? Uh, the first thing uh, is to uh, whatever town you're living in, uh, find out from your parks and rec department uh, if they're offering a youth program. Um, I, I was on the state board for NHYLA for many, many years, and we instituted a, a, a lot of uh, rule changes that made it very simple for you to decide where you can play. And it was just basically based on, you know, if you went to, if you lived in, um, what's a good example? If you lived in Stratum, your high school was Exeter High School. So you had to go to go and play with the Exeter program. Okay. If you lived in Rye, you had to go play in Portsmouth because Rye players went. So, so you would go to the Seacoast program, in other words. Okay. When it, when it kind of Hampton, you played with the Hampton youth program. So getting started, I think can be easy because especially in Southern New Hampshire, um, just about every county, Rockingham, Hillsborough, Cheshire, even you go uh, out as far as Keene in that area, uh, they have youth programs established, okay? Um, so that would be the first step. Second step is similar to hockey is the investment in equipment, okay? Because you do have to have a helmet. You do have to have gloves and shoulder pads and all of that stuff. Uh, and, you know, some of the uh, more um, uh, entrenched programs that have been around, uh, those programs have uh, used equipment uh, availability and things like that, or, or you know, come out and try the sport type of thing uh, where they can do that. I know Derry does that at Sports Zone quite often. Um, there's a little laxers program in, in Bedford uh, run by uh, uh, that program over there uh, at, at Sportsplex uh, where they, you know, get the five and six-year-old kids out there and let them hack around for a little bit and see if they like it. And, and uh, so that would be it. Um, the, the investment in the equipment and things like that happens over time uh, as, you know, the, the, the player, whether it's girls or boy, um, 
start to feel like this is what I want to play. This is what I want to do. Now you're buying the stick for, you know, a hundred bucks and the helmet for another 150 to $200 uh, because that is not supplied by, you know, the youth programs as you, you know, get into the sport uh, and, and so forth. So it can get a little bit pricey after a while, but uh, you know, what is it? What is it? That's true. You're going to get into it, realize that any, any sport, but in particular, the ones that involve specialized equipment. Yeah. 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 And, if you're, and if you're going to try it out, you're right. Borrow some equipment. Try it out. Try it out for size. One, one thing I've asked uh, other coaches, and, and I'm going to ask you, um, and, and it's specific to lacrosse in this case, uh, out on the field, which, which position do you consider most important? That's a very good question. I think the way I would word it is what, what player on the field is most integral to the success of a team. I like that. Okay. And uh, I pondered this question quite often, and it was actually a topic of discussion last night. Face-off number one, having a face-off specialist that can dominate a game uh, and a goaltender that is really, really sharp. And I'll, I'll, I'll go as far as to say Cole Frank is by far the best in the state right now. And Traditionally, Bishop Girton has been like that over the years as well. And in other programs, uh, even, even Exeter, uh, they, they've had their guys in the past uh, that have done very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, when you retain possession of the ball like that after a faceoff, after every goal, it's really hard to get not only a run going of, of success and, and have the momentum go your way, but it's, it's a great momentum stopper, too. So if the other team has got a run going of two or three or four goals and you start winning one, two, three or four face-offs in a row, uh, that just stops everything in terms of momentum. Uh, goaltender, uh, I, I have three sons. Two of them were goaltenders. One was 61-0 and 0 in high school at, at Bedford High School. Uh, uh, never lost a game uh, at Bedford High School. Won three state championships in Division II before the Bulldogs went to D1. Um, so I know a little bit about goaltending and a goaltender can, can save a lot. Those two positions by far. As a youngster, what, what was it led you to lacrosse? Oh, wow. Well, um, I, I got an early start for a kid that grew up outside of Philadelphia where lacrosse in the seventies was in its infancy in terms of public schools. Okay, it had always been pretty strong at the private school level. You see that up here with, you know, Phillips Exeter and governors and and those, uh, you know, private schools up here. Uh, Deerfield Academy, for example, Uh, lacrosse had been on the books for years and years. Um, And in my neck of the woods, uh, I didn't pick up a stick till I was maybe 12 or 13. But my father had played at Tabor Academy in Massachusetts. Uh, he played four years. In fact, my first stick when I turned 12, my birthday was a wooden stick. I had a wooden, a wooden lacrosse stick, and that's how I got into the game. Uh, and I think because, look, let's face it, lacrosse was non-existent then. Okay, if if you knew anything about lacrosse, it was because you saw a stick in the sporting goods store, right. or you know, or you you happened to. I was fortunate because my pri- the, the, the school I went to was a public school in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and we had that they had a lacrosse team. 
And I will tell you that, uh, you know, my father kind of pushed me into it and it was like, you know, uh, you've done the baseball thing, try this. I did. Uh, I ended up breaking my leg skiing my freshman year. So I missed my freshman year, but I was still involved in the team. Um, and, uh, uh, the following year I hit the, hit the, uh, hit the field and I had a fantastic coach. I had a fantastic coach and this is where coaching is to me just became a passion. And now I fortunate to have two sons that are doing it, but that was the spark that I, I, I received about the sport. I loved it. It was physical. I had a great coach that taught me everything I needed to know at that point. He just he just retired a couple of years ago from Henderson. He stayed there for many, many, many years. Um, and uh, Coach Stank, thank you if you're out there. Uh, and uh, uh, I made they moved me up to varsity my sophomore year, uh, and I never looked back. Uh, and um, and that was just the, it was that draw. And I played soccer in high school too, so I played soccer in the fall and in the cross in spring. But we didn't have the tomahawks and the hooligans and all of these other uh, you know specialty programs and, and recruiting programs. Uh, back uh, in high school, the college coaches that knew about you somehow, whether they were reading the newspaper, the Philadelphia Bulletin or whatever, because I, I was an all-state player, first-team all-state defenseman, um, they came to the school. Mm-hmm. They came to you. Okay? So I met the, you know, the coach from the Naval Academy, from Harvard, uh, from Kutztown State, which I eventually went because I had other friends and, and uh, teammates from prior years that went there. Uh, and got got uh, got recruited by those schools, but they you know I can remember on the intercom. Hey, can you send Roger Howe down? Uh, the coach from Harvard is here to talk to him. Uh, I, I came up and did a campus visit at UNH because my family was from this area, uh, and uh, and met with that coach. Um, so uh, it was quite different back then, but it was all still very exciting too. And the sport was the sport was growing at that point. The first lacrosse game I ever saw was the night the Flyers won the Stanley Cup in 1973. The Philadelphia Wings had their inaugural game against the Montreal Quebecois, which was an indoor lacrosse league started way, way back. And uh, through the frenzy of South Broad Street and uh, Patterson, uh, where the Flyers won the Stanley Cup that year, we were trying to get into the spectrum to see this game, which was the first lacrosse game I ever saw. And, and as I said, I just never worked, never looked back. It was, it was wonderful. It was terrific. I want to get back to the championships that we got. We've talked about the D1. That'll be at 2.30 at uh, William Ball Stadium here in Exeter on yeah. Sunday. Uh, we have another game at 5 o'clock. That is the D3 championship. Let's let's talk about that for a second. Yeah, D3. Um uh, I had a conversation last night with a very good friend of mine. Uh, and he's an assistant coach for the uh, Hopkinton uh, uh, team. Uh, they beat Bo in overtime, uh, which was kind of a surprise uh, because uh, uh, Bo went undefeated this year. Uh, they've got a young, I mean, we kind of talk on the broadcast for Friday Night Lights uh, quite often about uh, the youth level of the coaching uh, contingent within the state. Uh, Matt Brewster, obviously, uh, in, in his uh, late 20s. Um, um, you know, Drew Bordeaux, same at Bedford High School. Matthew Howe uh, at Bedford High School. Uh, but Devin Calkins 
is the son of Paul Calkins, the head coach at Southern New Hampshire University. And Devin is also in his late 20s. And he, he, he took that bow squad a couple of years ago. And uh, here they are. They're, they hit the street, uh, uh, you know, undefeated this season, going into that game with Hopkinton. Uh, and Hopkinton, they, they, were, they were the fifth seed. And Bo was the one seed. And Hopkinton came out fighting. So Deacon Blue... The coaching staff there, Kyle Devitt, uh, the assistant, um, they had that team rocking and rolling uh, to the point where uh, they came out and uh, uh, pulled a, you know, 11 to nothing, 11 to nothing, 11 to 10 overtime win. So that was, that was really nice to see. Uh, that's going to be a Donnybrook. Uh, uh, Hopkinton was in the finals last year against Laconia. Uh, Laconia, uh, you know, popped out early. They lost to Pelham. Uh, in the uh, in the quarterfinals, and Pelham uh, played Campbell, and that was a low-scoring game, which uh, turned into an eight-nothing win for Campbell. Uh, and uh, Campbell has always been a very strong program, uh, especially in the last three four years uh, with uh, with the coaching staff down there. Uh, but this is probably going to be the next most competitive game, the B three uh, final, uh, because of how that matches up. Seven o'clock. The the Seacoast is represented in the D two lacrosse championship, and uh, talk about that. Two amazing teams. Uh, Derryfield ran the table this year. That uh, they were eighteen and zero, I believe, was their final record. Um, uh, two um, two coaches I, I know very well. Uh, Chris Hetler from uh, Derryfield. Uh, much like Steve Godrow, I coached beside uh, Chris Hetler uh, several times, not only with Nestle, but with Tomahawks. Um, Chris is a great guy, super coach. He's now the AD at Derryfield. Um, and, uh, you know, his counterpart, Chad Vischer, uh, Chad grew up in my neighborhood, uh, you know, in, in uh, Pennsylvania. So I've gotten to know him very, very well over the last few years, his family. Uh, they love the fact that they can watch their their coaching son, uh, you know, coach Portsmouth High School uh, when we do a broadcast or two. Uh, but that's just going to be a clash of titans. Portsmouth has been very strong. They're the defending champions. Um, but um, uh, they're going to have a Donnybrook uh, uh, on their hands with uh, the attack of, uh, of Berryfield. Uh, Chili Chabot, uh, uh, Quinn Silvio, um, Liebitz, their goalie, is, is, has come a long, long way. Um, and uh, they've got firepower. And what I like about the Derryfield squad, kind of like the Portsmouth squad, is that, uh, you know, back when I played, uh, you, if you were a midfielder, you played defense and you played offense and you might have been a faceoff guy. OK, the mm -hmm. game has evolved into a very specialized sport. And within recent years with rule changes and substitutions and things like that, um, it has now gone to a game of special specialized midfield play, if you will. Okay. Uh, with defensive midfielders and, and, uh, you know, uh, offensive midfielders and things like that. Both those coaches run their first line midfielders both ways. Okay. So there is very little, it's a seamless game in, in transition for them. All right. They're not constantly moving defensive short stick, stick midfielders and a long stick midfielder although that is primary, uh, th th they have guys that can go both ways offensively and defensively. And if you look at all, uh, I'll, I'll say less about 
Hopkinson and Campbell because I know less about their teams because I haven't watched them as much as the other four teams. All four of those teams, D1 and D3 or D2, they run their midfield with both sides of the field. It's a very seamless game with them. Uh, there are obviously defensive midfielders and things like that. Uh, but that, that, that D2 game, I think that's the reason why it's the 730 game is because it's going to be probably projectedly the best game out of the three. I'm going to put you on the spot, Roger. Oh boy. Who are you picking in the three divisions? Okay. Uh, yeah. Cause as I mentioned, you know, I, I, I know all of these coaches and, and many of the players, so it's going to be, you know, don't, don't, uh, I guess you can kill the messenger because I'm the messenger, but, uh, you know, but here it goes. Uh, I, I don't see, uh, although I see a great game in the division one and I hope Pinkerton uh, can, can uh, go toe to toe with Bishop Curtin. I see coach Cameron getting his 12th state championship uh, and tying uh, Brian O'Reilly uh, uh, score wise. We should be double digits all the way in that, uh, you know, maybe a, a 15, 12, 15, 11, something like that. It all depends on how, um, uh, Joey Gallo, uh, performs. He, he left the game, uh, with a, a knee injury last night, uh, and how, uh, uh, Ryan Lynch performs. Uh, Ryan was held to one goal last night against Exeter. I'm not sure if he's fully healthy or not, but, but, uh, that, that'll be a big factor. The D2. Wow. This, this is going to be just a clash of Titans, as we mentioned. Um, but I think, uh, I think, uh, Derry Field's just too strong this year. All right. Although they lost the regular season game to uh, Portsmouth at uh, Portsmouth High School, uh, that was a battle. Uh, and I don't think Derry Field played their best game. Uh, and uh, when you give a coach like uh, Chris Hetler a second chance, uh, he's going to pull, pull it together. And I'm sure these boys are sick of looking at film too, uh, because he, he'll have things uh, spotted out for them, uh, and, and they should uh, they should win that game. Um, and, uh, Portsmouth isn't as strong this year, I don't think as they were last year. Uh, but, uh, th that's beside the point. Uh, so Derry field, uh, would be my pick in, uh, division two, uh, division three. Um, I, I think this might be Hopkinson's year again. Uh, they've won it in the past. Um, they lost to Laconia last year. They didn't play well in that game. They made a couple of mistakes, uh, from the timeout perspective late in the game that, that could have turned that game around, uh, against Laconia. Uh, but I, I don't think Campbell is quite as strong as uh, they have been in the past. They are a two seed. Hopkinson's a five seed. Uh, but I think uh, after an overtime win like that, uh, this coaching staff is mature enough and skilled enough uh, that they won't let that, uh, uh, that momentum die. They'll, they'll play that up and, and play it much like a goalie has to. Forget about what just happened. Let's move forward and just use that momentum and, and put it to Campbell. So I think that Hopkinton's probably going to win that one. We got a busy day ahead. So one thing I want you and, and your counterpart who do the broadcast all day long, Nick Anastas, you guys got to stay in shape. You got to be conditioned. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lot, lots of fluids, uh, you know, maybe a slice of pizza in between the games, something like that, or a or cold <laughs> hot dog. For the two minute drill, I just want to congratulate all the student athletes who Put it all out on the fields and courts this year. And a special thank you for all the friends and family members who support them and the coaches who guide them. Job well done. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the program, pass the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. So on behalf of our special guest today, Roger Howe, I'm Sherm Chester, 
inviting you to join us for the next edition of the Seacoast Forum podcast.